Welcome to Season 2 of Purdue University College of Sciences Superheroes of Science Podcast. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sarah. We will be discussing anything and everything related to science. If you have a science question, tweet it to us at Purdue SOS, and we will try and find someone to answer it for you. Today on Superheroes of Science, we have Birgit Kaufman, professor in the departments of math and physics and astronomy. So welcome, Birgit. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Now, you said your research is in the intersect mm -hmm. of math and physics. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so it, when you said that, I wanted to immediately ask you, but I thought, okay, no, that's my first question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wait, Stephen, wait. Because wait. I wanted to ask you as soon as you said that, what, right. what do you mean by that? Could you explain that? Yes, so my problems are mostly motivated from physics, so they have some underlying problem that occurs in physics, but the techniques I use are, are very mathematical, and often the results I get have also some significance for mathematics, so they use some advanced techniques of mathematics, and they are of their own interest in mathematics as well. Okay. What types of questions are you asking? So I have three main areas. One is non-equilibrium dynamics. Mm -hmm. So these are called reaction diffusion systems. And they are very simple models of particles hopping on a line. So it's in one dimension. Okay. Are very basic models where particles diffuse. And uh, when two particles meet, they can undergo some reactions. Mm -hmm. And we study the dynamics of these models by mapping them onto some abstract thing that's called a spin chain, a quantum spin chain, and then we study these quantum spin chains with very sophisticated mathematical techniques, but in the end we come back and we say something about the dynamics of these hopping particles. Okay. So that's one area, and then we have this very cool project which you see also in the background here. Yeah, <laughs> it's we've called, put several uh, things in the background. The double gyroid, so it's, um, it, it has a very funny um, origin. It was actually somebody from chemical engineering, a professor who called the math department and wanted to know if there were people who would collaborate with him on this new material that he could synthesize in the lab that had a very interesting mathematical structure. And we started collaborating for several years together with people from physics, um, chemistry, material science, and we put up this big project that led to a series of publications and then eventually, unfortunately, the chemical engineer left and the material scientist as well. And we were um, left with the physicist, <laughs> but we still were able to publish uh, quite a few papers about that interesting subject. Wow. So uh, your, the team, that we, they created a brand new, something that... A synthetic material, like a right. It's a material block. that surprisingly exists also in nature on the wings of butterflies and beetles to wow. give them a very vibrant color. But you can also make it in the lab out of semiconductor materials, mm -hmm. and it is assembled by self-assembly because it's a minimal surface, so it minimizes the surface energy. So it appears spontaneously if you tune all the parameters right, but it's on the scale of nano, on the nano scale, so oh, it's very wow. small. Neat. And the hope originally was to um, increase the effectiveness of solar cells with this material. Oh. So that was the idea. And so we wrote many mathematical papers about this. And we haven't quite finished the analysis yet, so it's, mm -hmm. it's very complicated. But now that you've published that, and that information is out in right. the scientific community, Right. now it's, uh, from what I see, and so I can do what you can do to publish, and so other people will look at that and like, right. oh, I wonder, 
and start furthering research based on what all right. of the math that you've done. Right. And that's right. kind of how that will work. Yes, I mean that's true in general for all the scientific publications that you get out that people of other universities mm -hmm. or other research groups start reading those publications mm -hmm. and learn what you have done and what they have done and they put they can put it all together and continue the work on that. I always think that's a really neat process, and I always like students to kind of understand that process. Right. I think that that's how information gets out, is, right, is right. You know, pub publishing the work that you're doing. Yeah, and, and going to conferences and yes. talk about it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's great. That is so cool. I mean, how, how neat will it be like, in years from now, you stop and look, and all of a sudden you realize that they've used all of these equations that you've put together in, next thing you know, it's in every everybody's... Uh, you have these high efficient solar panels right, and right. you've yeah, contributed yeah. to that. That would be great. That, yeah. that's, that's really neat. Right. And right. I wondered what the application of the different right, ones. Right. So what's some of the other things? Well recently my, my most recent interest is in quantum computing. Ooh. So this is something that also Purdue pushes really um, in the future direction. And uh, I have one collaboration with a physicist and with a PhD student where we look at some models in atomic physics that exhibit some underlying features that may be used in, to build a quantum computer, which are called Majorana fermions. And then there's a second project where um, I team up with a guy from chemistry, faculty from chemistry, and two undergraduate students, and we try to find some easy problems that we can put on an existing quantum computer mm -hmm. that is actually located in Canada and that is accessible so you can get a free account on that computer and you can uh. you can try to use it for some simple small problems. Now what, so, well, how would you define a quantum computer? Oh, that's what I was going <laughs> to Well, it's a computer that um, uses the laws of quantum mechanics okay. instead of using classical bits that can be zero or one. Mm -hmm. So on a quantum computer you use qubits and the qubits can also be in two positions but they can also be in the superposition of these two states. So instead of being zero or one they can be in a mixed state that is a linear combination of zeros and ones and that's only possible in the quantum world. And this particular computer that we are using um, it's called the D-Wave computer and it, it doesn't use classical gates or the analog of classical gates, quantum gates, but it uses a totally different process that's called quantum annealing, where a problem is optimized by bringing the whole system into its ground state. So it's, if you program it, you have to map the problem you would like to study onto this particular model that mm -hmm. is inside the C-Wave quantum computer, and then the quantum computer will find the ground state of that model. So it's not universal, you cannot calculate any problem on mm -hmm. it, but most optimization problems are actually suitable to be computed there. Wow, so optimizing the best right. state for... Right. So for example, they have had a big study that was paid by Volkswagen, where they investigated how uh, taxis can get from Beijing downtown to Beijing airport instead of all going the same route and having a big, um, a big clog, right. uh -huh. yeah. they would actually try to um, minimize each car's uh, time that it gets to the mm -hmm. airport, but at the same time 
optimize the whole system so that there wouldn't be any traffic jams. But so people would have to take small detours, but in the end they would still arrive faster at the airport. Then and everyone being stuck right, everybody now. being mm -hmm. stuck in the same traffic jam, mm -hmm. and they put this on the quantum computer, and they were able to solve this model. Wow. So if they could, every car. If they could give a signal to every car where it should go, they would actually avoid this traffic jam. Wow. And so the, the idea behind a quantum computer is it that it, it it works much more quickly, or is it that it just will hold more data for processing? Well, it's actually both. It's okay. um, it can solve problems that are called NP-hard in quantum in uh, computer science. Mm -hmm. So these NP-hard problems would take infinitely long to be processed on a quantum computer, and the, the uh, on a classical computer and the quantum computers would actually be able to solve those problems if we were able to really build a full-size quantum mm -hmm. computer. So the ones mm -hmm. that exist right now are still small. Um, so this particular one has 2,000 qubits, which is still very small. Okay. So. Huh. <laughs> well, what I love is, that, I mean, you're doing this really higher level math. And I mean, when I say higher level, I mean way up there. Right. But you're, you're using it for something that we all know. Right, right. We know solar panels. And you're right. explaining that. So right. anyway, we... Most of us have no idea what quantum computer is. We've heard right, it, but right, we don't know yeah. necessarily what it meant. But not only are you explaining that, you're like, and this is an application of right, mm -hmm. right. And so, and that's that's something that we, as the the general, general public, general public, yeah. General. I wasn't going to go population. Now yeah. I feel like I was in prison, but uh, <laughs> general population kind of needs to. Right. That's those things that we need to know. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so I love that you're ba you're able to uh, bring that down to our level, yeah, <laughs> or closer yeah. to our level. Yeah. Right, right. So we're using it for calculations in uh, in chemistry and theoretical chemistry. Okay. Uh, we try to find um, atomic and molecular structures, of certain atoms or molecules. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So um, the idea is to find some way of calculating these on the on the quantum computer. Okay. Because I remember hearing optimization, you know, mm -hmm. back when I was studying, right, you know, right. trying to get the right, you know, what we think that structure probably is. Mm -hmm. So this, being able to put those models in kind of gives you the bet what, what it most likely, right. based on the energies of the bonds and things, it's probably, right. is that yeah. correct? Yeah. So you want, you want to find the wave function that actually minimizes the energy of the atom or the molecule. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. <laughs> yeah. so. What other types of projects have you been working on? Well, that's about what I did um, maybe in the past uh, 10, 20 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> These are long-term projects. Yeah, right, right. You, you, you don't pick small tasks, do you? You pick the big, <laughs> the big questions. Yeah, solve. well, there are different aspects in each of the, mm -hmm. the project areas. But uh, yeah, that's basically the three wow. areas I worked in. So, hey, how does it? Hey, how does that work? If I'm, let's say, I'm a chemist, mm -hmm. and I, I have this idea, and I want to to be able to do something, how do I get to the point where I need some a uh, mathematician to be able to step in and, and be able to solve this? Well, it's not always about these interdisciplinary research areas. It's um, I think it's rather rare that people from different departments work together. Maybe in, for the quantum computing, it brings in, in more different departments, and we mm -hmm. also have some hiring um, 
strategies that aim at building multidisciplinary groups, but I think in general it is it is rather difficult to, to bring together different people okay. from different departments. Mm -hmm. So you really have to actively look for collaborators in other departments and you have to try to engage in some conversations about research to find that you have common interests. Mm -hmm. oh. It's not really obvious that a person from another department might be working in a, in a related area. So um, okay. I, see. I think it's often is there's a lot of co uh, a lack of communication that people usually don't go to other departments' talks, so they don't learn what other people are doing. And then that sort of gets back then to the publications, because you're, right. you're publishing and you're saying what you've been working on, right. and then, like you said, going to conferences, mm -hmm. but, but then that seems similar. There are different conferences for the different disciplines. Right, right. So. It's mostly conferences that are aimed at one research group, mm -hmm. and they don't have so much in overlap with, uh, with other departments or other yeah. research groups. So uh, you're both, uh, department-wise, you're both physics and mathematics. Mm -hmm. Right. Physics and astronomy. Er, yeah, thank yes, you. Physics, physics and, and Department of <laughs> Physics and Astronomy mm -hmm. and Department of Mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, my question is, were you a physicist before you were a mathematician, or were you a math? So which came first, the physics or the math? That's really hard to say because um, when <laughs> I studied in Germany, I went to grad school in Germany. And there, um, at the particular university I was studying at, it was required for physicists to take the same courses as the mathematicians. Mm -hmm. oh. So from the start, I took courses in, in those specialties. And um, my graduate student work was in theoretical physics, where you need a lot of mathematics. Mm -hmm. So I even continued to go to the math courses, to the more advanced math courses that also the graduate math students would take. So I would say I did both. In okay. <laughs> my PhD is in physics, so um, okay. that was a choice I had to make. Okay. Well, that's, well, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both in parallel, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I'd get like the chicken and the egg, which right. came first. Yeah. Don't yeah. know, they came at yeah. the same time today. <laughs> so, uh, what attracted you to this type of field then? Well, originally it was actually an interest in astrophysics. So when I was um, at, in high school, I, I was interested in learning about uh, the outer space and um, about galaxies and about planets and um, all these types of things. So um, when you study astrophysics in Germany, you have to study regular physics first. So it's the degree you get is in physics. And then you can go into a specialty direction, which is astrophysics. Mm -hmm. So I started um, a regular study of physics, and I took some astronomy courses, some introductory courses, and I didn't like them. Oh. <laughs> 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 Maybe it was just this particular course I took, but mm -hmm. I, I was much more fascinated by, by the other physics courses. Mm -hmm. So I was steered away a little bit from astrophysics. And well, I think that's an important thing to note, though, that sometimes I, you like the ideas, right? right and so, right. so like you said, you were encouraged, and you you like this, you right. know, outer space and looking, and then you get into it, and maybe, maybe you have those feelings, like, well, maybe this isn't for me, but, right. but right. so, what, what, 
for students maybe that are facing, mm -hmm. you know, maybe right. their senior year of high school mm -hmm. and starting to think, what advice do you have for them? And, and oh. Well, I think it's just great to follow your dreams mm -hmm. and to start doing something and then you will see if, if you like it or if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. In my case, I'm still fascinated by the subject matter. It's not that I don't want to know anything about astrophysics mm -hmm. and I was mm -hmm. actually on a faculty search that we had for a new person that we hired in astrophysics and I was still very interested in learning about what people would do nowadays in, mm -hmm. at the at the forefront of research. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm still following all the all the news, but uh, it's not what I chose as my research area. Sure. So I think it's it's still okay to start studying a subject even if you're not a hundred percent sure you're going to stay in that area. And it's yes. okay to change your mind. Right. I mean, there are so many different areas that you can go into. And yeah. if you start in your first year in the university, it's not fixed. Yes. That's good to know. Where you, where you go. Even later on, if you start graduate school, you can still switch. And oh, I didn't think about so, that. But yeah, so as a graduate student... Right. There are still different areas of physics that you can choose, and mm -hmm. you're not. it's not fixed from the start. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Yeah, right. Because right. I'm guessing when you first started, you didn't think. I, I looked up like the math courses you mm -hmm. teach. Right. And uh, holy cow, you teach like the. That's. I don't know if it gets any higher than the courses you teach. Well, there are some more advanced topics courses where you would specialize on a particular area and then uh, have a specialized course. Mm -hmm. They would be above these 500 courses. Yeah. So, but, uh, I'm guessing you didn't start off thinking, oh, I think I'll teach uh, extremely high-level math no. at uh, R1 institution. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> but so I think it's really cool how things evolved. Right. And right. how these things work out. Yeah, right. And where we right. end up with that. That's true, yeah. And I really love what I'm doing, so it worked out for the best. <laughs> Definitely. That, the passion is there. Right. Do you have... Um, students that you work with? Yes, okay. at the moment I have one PhD student oh, okay. and these two undergraduate students. Oh, very nice. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are your undergraduates doing? Because I was talking mm -hmm. to someone earlier today, mm -hmm. uh, someone here on campus, a high school student right. on campus and with their parents and they just like stopped me randomly and was, it was asking me questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told them, oh, look for, find something that you, you enjoy. Right. And find a class that you're like, oh, this is kind of exciting and <laughs> a, a professor that you, that you, Joy, right. and ask them what you can do to like undergraduate right. research and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, what type of things do you have your undergraduates do? Well, mostly I have done many REUs in the past, mm -hmm. so mostly I find a little project that is related to what I'm doing mainly in my research, but that is a little bit, well, maybe overseeable, a little project that they, they can do without going through all the training you mm -hmm. need to really come to the point of understanding the full research. And uh, these two undergraduate students that I have at the moment, they, they are with me on this quantum computing project. Oh, really? So they learned how to program the quantum computer and they actually, um, you have to know Python, the language Python. Okay. Oh. And, um, they yeah. were actually experts already in Python. Really. So um, they just hit it off right away. They, they needed not, not a lot of explanations from me, but uh, they were able to put simple problems on the quantum computer right away and within a week. So it was pretty fascinating. Wow. Awesome. Now we've had a number of faculty mention that 
when we asked them, if talking to a high school student, what do you suggest, mm -hmm. recommend that they look into now right. to help them later? Right. And uh, it, computing is one of them. Looking right. at programming right. and coding is mm -hmm. one of them. Right. Is that one that you would also suggest? And if so, what else would you suggest or what different? What would you suggest? Um, well, <laughs> it's, it's a little hard to say. It depends on where they want to go. It certainly helps if you know a programming language because many... In many instances, you would, even if you do a theoretical study, you would just put a small problem on a computer just to see um, what comes out in easy cases. Mm -hmm. um, I would just say fundamental courses like mathematics will always help because it also trains your logical thinking. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but nothing is really necessary. I mean, if you just follow the coursework and um, are honest about doing your work, mm -hmm. I think you will always arrive at a, at a point uh, where you can start doing research with a professor. So. I, I like that, that being honest, I think, both in what you know, but then in what you don't right, know. And right, so, and, yeah. and with the courses that you're teaching in these upper level math courses, mm -hmm. you've probably experienced students getting frustrated by, sure. you know. Yeah. So, you know, for my own students that would struggle with math and things, right, what sorts right. of things do you do to encourage them when they kind of hit it? Well, I, I always offer office hours. Okay. So they can always come to my office and ask me for help. And um, many people take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. We also have a discussion forum um, that is called Piazza, where they can log on and ask questions, and then it's like a discussion group. The whole course can actually respond, so also other students oh, can respond, yeah. and they can engage into discussions among themselves. And then I have a TA who monitors this discussion and gives answers to questions they might not know how to answer. And sometimes I go in myself and look at, at this mm -hmm. thread and see if there's anything I can contribute. Um, so there's a lot of help available. Mm -hmm. So in my courses there are also many distance students. So usually I teach for the engineering Purdue online. Mm -hmm. And these distance students cannot easily connect. They cannot just come to my office. Yeah. They are scattered all over yeah. the country and sometimes even abroad. So uh -huh. um, they would sometimes call me on the phone or they would Skype or they would use a Zoom meeting right. or any of these venues are possible too. But also contact you right, with questions right, they have yes, about course yes, materials. Right, that's, that's the most important thing and that's the number one to go. Mm -hmm. I mean it's, uh, it's really essential to get help from a person I think. I think that's good for kids to hear because right, I know right. sometimes that can be intimidating. I yes. Think. My yes. own daughter, you know, she's, she's kind of going through that now and right. she's like, oh, I just, I said you need to talk to your teacher. Yeah, and I think right, that's, right. you know, it's so important to ask questions if mm -hmm. you if you're stuck, and not to try to to solve it yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. It's intimidating. Yeah. It can be intimidating to do that. <laughs> I know. That. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it can be very intimidating because sometimes you just don't you're not sure what to ask. But yeah. I really right. like the fact that you're. You, you're like, well, you need to come, and we have right. the office hours, right. or just communicate with me and let right. me know, because right. I have yet to find someone who wasn't. Sometimes it's Absolutely. even for me, which mm -hmm. is a, kind of an extrovert. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's it's hard to. Right. I think for me, it's more I gotta swallow my pride and admit I couldn't figure something <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, right. right. So I gotta lose the macho thing a little bit. But uh, once I do, I've never had a, I've never had someone not excited to be able to help me. No, no. That's so true, overcoming yeah. that fear and realizing yeah. people are really here to help you right, is right, a big yeah. thing. That's very important. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of situations probably where you would you would you and you alone would be the only one responsible for right. solving that. Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. Is a collaborative in nature. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Very nice. Yes. Well, very cool. Really, thank you for taking the sure. time to speak with us today. Sure, and, it was yeah. a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. An outstanding on review. On iTunes or your preferred podcast player. Tweet us your science questions. At Purdue SOS. Until next time, be super. And remember. You are someone's hero. Boiler up. Hammer down.